Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. I'm reading today from the story of John G. Patton, the missionary to the South Sea Island cannibals in islands that were formerly known as the New Hebrides, now the nation of Vanuatu. We're on chapter 28. It's called The Plague of Measles. About this time, I had a never-to-be-forgotten illustration of the infernal spirit that possessed some of the traders toward these poor natives. One morning, three or four vessels entered our harbor and cast anchor in Port Resolution. The captains called on me, and one of them, with manifest delight, exclaimed, We know how to bring down your proud tannies now. We'll humble them before you. I answered, well, Surely you don't mean to attack and destroy these poor people. He replied, Not abashed, but rejoicing, We've sent the measles to humble them. That kills them by the score. Four young men have been landed at different ports, ill with measles, and these will soon thin their ranks. <clears throat> Shocked above measure, I protested solemnly and denounced their conduct and spirit. But my remonstrances only called forth the shameless declaration, Our watchword is, Sweep these creatures away and let white men occupy the soil. Their malice was further illustrated thus. They induced Kapuku, a young chief, to go off to one of their vessels, promising him a present. He was the friend and chief supporter of Mr. Mathison and of his work. Having got him on board, they confined him in the hold amongst natives lying ill with measles. They gave him no food for about four and twenty hours. And then, without the promised present, they put him ashore far from his own home. Though weak and excited, he scrambled back to his tribe in great exhaustion and terror. He informed the missionary that they had put him down amongst sick people, red and hot with fever, and that he feared their sickness was upon him. I am ashamed to say that these sandalwood and other traders were our own degraded countrymen, and that they deliberately gloried in thus destroying the poor heathen. A more fiendish spirit could scarcely be imagined, but most of them were horrible drunkards, and their traffic of every kind amongst these islands was, generally speaking, steeped in human blood. The measles, thus introduced, became amongst our islanders the most deadly plague. It spread fearfully and was accompanied by sore throat and diarrhea. In some villages, man, woman, and child were stricken, and none could give food or water to the rest. The misery, suffering, and terror were unexampled, the living being afraid sometimes even to bury the dead. Thirteen of my own mission party died of this disease, and so terror-stricken were the few who survived that when the little mission schooner John Knox returned to Tanna, they all packed up and left for their own anaitium, except my own dear friend Abraham. At first, thinking that all were on the wing, he also had packed his chattels and was standing beside the others, ready to leave with them. I drew near to him and I said, Abraham, they are all going. Are you also going to leave me here alone on Tana to fight the battles of the Lord? 
He asked, Missy, will you remain? I replied, yes. But Abraham, the danger to life is now so great that I dare not plead with you to remain, for we may both be slain. Still, I cannot leave the Lord's work now. The noble old chief looked at the box and his bundles and musingly said, Missy, our danger is very great now. I answered, yes. I once thought you would not leave me alone to it, but as the vessel is going to your own land, I cannot ask you to remain and face it with me. He again said, Missy, would you like me to remain alone with you, seeing my wife is dead and in her grave here? I replied, yes, I would like you to remain. But considering the circumstances in which we will be left alone, I cannot plead with you to do so. He answered, Then, Missy, I remain with you of my own free choice and with all my heart. We will live and die together in the work of the Lord. I will never leave you while you are spared on Tana. And so saying, and with a light that gave the foregleam of a martyr's glory to his dark face, he shouldered his box and bundles back to his own house, and thereafter Abraham was my dear companion and constant friend and my fellow sufferer in all that remains still to be related of our mission life on Tana. Before this plague of measles was brought amongst us, I had sailed round in the John Knox to Black Beach on the opposite side of Tana and prepared the way for settling teachers and they were placed soon after by Mr. Copeland and myself with encouraging hopes of success, and with the prospect of erecting there a station for Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, the newly arrived missionaries from Nova Scotia. But this dreadful imported epidemic blasted all our dreams. They devoted themselves from the very first, and assisted me in every way to alleviate the dread sufferings of the natives. We carried medicine, food, even water, to the surrounding villages every day, a few of themselves being able to render us much assistance. Nearly all who took our medicine and followed instructions as to food and so forth recovered, but vast numbers of them would listen to no counsels and rushed into experiments which made the attack fatal all around. When the trouble was at its height, for instance, they would plunge into the sea and seek relief. They found it an almost instant death. Others would dig a hole into the earth, the length of the body about two feet deep. Therein they laid themselves down, the, the cold earth feeling agreeable to their fevered skins. And when the earth around them grew heated, they got friends to dig a few inches deeper again and again, seeking a cooler and cooler couch. In this ghastly effort, many of them died literally in their own graves, and were buried where they lay. It need not be surprising that we did everything in our power to relieve and save them that the natives associated us with the white men who had so dreadfully afflicted them, and that their blind thirst for revenge did not draw fine distinctions between the traders and the missionaries. Both were white, and that was enough. Before leaving this terrible plague of measles, I, I may record my belief that it swept away with accompanying sore throat and diarrhea a third 
of the entire population of Tana. Nay, in certain localities more than a third perished. The living declared themselves unable to bury the dead, and great want and suffering ensued. The teacher and his wife and child, placed by us at Black Beach, were also taken away, and his companion, the other teacher there, embraced the first opportunity to leave along with his wife for his own island, else his life would have been taken in revenge. And yet from all accounts afterward received, I do not think the measles were more fatal on Tana than on the other islands of the group. They appear to have carried off even a larger proportion on Aniwa, the future scene of many sorrows, but of greater triumphs. Chapter 29. Attacked with Clubs. The 1st of January, 1861, was a New Year's Day ever to be remembered. Mr. and Mrs. Johnston, Abraham, and I had spent nearly the whole time in a kind of solemn yet happy festival. A new and a holy covenant before God, we unitedly consecrated our lives and our all to the Lord Jesus, giving ourselves away to his blessed service for the conversion of the heathen on the New Hebrides. After evening family worship, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, Johnston left my room to go to their own house, and only some ten feet distance. But he returned to inform me that there were two men at the window armed with huge clubs and having black painted faces. Going out to them and asking them what they wanted, they replied, Medicine for a sick boy. With difficulty, I persuaded them to come in and get it. At once, it flashed upon me from their agitation and their disguise of paint that they had come to murder us. Mr. Johnston had also accompanied us into the house. Keeping my eye constantly fixed on them, I prepared the medicine and offered it. They refused to receive it, and each man grasped his killing stone. I faced them firmly, and I said, You see that Mr. Johnston is now leaving, and you too must leave this room for tonight. Tomorrow you can bring the boy or come for the medicine. Seizing their clubs as if for action, they showed unwillingness to withdraw. But I walked deliberately forward and made as if to push them out when both turned and began to leave. Mr. Johnston had gone in front of them and was safely out, but he bent down to lift a little kitten that had escaped at the open door, and at that moment one of the savages, jerking in behind, aimed a blow with his huge club, in avoiding which Mr. Johnston fell with a scream to the ground. Both men sprang towards him, but our two faithful dogs ferociously leapt in their faces and saved his life. Rushing out, but not fully aware of what had occurred, I saw Mr. Johnston trying to raise himself and heard him cry, Take care, these men have tried to kill me, and they will kill you. Facing them sternly, I demanded, What is it that you want? He does not understand your language. What do you want? Speak with me. Both men thereon raised their great clubs and made to strike me. But quick as lightning, these two dogs sprang at their faces and baffled their blows. One dog was badly bruised, 
and the ground received the other blow that would have launched me into eternity. The best dog was a little crossbred retriever with terrier blood in him, splendid for warning us of approaching dangers, and which had already been the means of saving my life several times. Seeing how matters stood, I now hounded both dogs furiously upon them, and the two savages fled. I shouted after them, Remember, Jehovah God sees you and will punish you for trying to murder his servants. In their flight, a large body of men uh, who had come eight or ten miles to assist in the murder and plunder came slipping here and there from the bush and joined them, fleeing too. Verily, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. David's experience and assurance came home to us that that evening as very real, that God is our refuge and our strength, and therefore we will not fear. Well, I, now accustomed to such scenes on Tana, retired to rest and slept soundly. But my dear fellow laborer, as I afterwards learned, could not sleep for one moment. His pallor and excitement continued next day, indeed for several days. And after that, though he was naturally lively and cheerful, I never saw him smile again. For that morning, 1st January, 1861, the following entry was found in his journal. Today, with a heavy heart and a feeling of dread, I know not why, I set out on my accustomed wanderings amongst the sick. I hastened back to get the teacher and carry Mr. Patton to the scene of distress. I carried a bucket of water in one hand and medicine in the other, and so we spent a portion of this day endeavoring to alleviate their sufferings. And our work had a happy effect, and also on the minds of others. In another entry on 22nd December, he wrote, Measles are making fearful havoc amongst the poor Tannese. As we pass through the villages, mournful scenes meet the eye, young and old prostrated on the ground, showing all these painful symptoms which accompany loathsome and malignant diseases. In some villages, few are left able to prepare food or to carry drink to the suffering and dying. How pitiful to see the sufferers destitute of every comfort, attention, and remedy that would ameliorate their suffering or remove their disease. As I think of the tender manner in which we are nursed in sickness, the many remedies employed to give relief, with the comforts and attention bestowed upon us, my heart sickens, and I say, Oh, my ingratitude, and the ingratitude of Christian people. Well, having, as, as above recorded, consecrated our lives anew to God on the first day of January, I was up till the 16th of the month, accompanied by Mr. Johnston, sometimes also by Mrs. Johnston, on my rounds in the villages amongst the sick, and they greatly helped me. But by an unhappy accident I was laid aside when most sorely needed. When adzing a tree for house-building, I observed that Mahanan, the war chief's brother, had been keeping too near me, and that he carried a tomahawk in his hand. And in trying both to do my work and to keep an eye on him, I I struck my ankle severely with the ads. He moved off quickly, saying, I did not do that, but doubtless rejoicing at what had happened. The bone was badly hurt, and several of the blood vessels cut. Dressing it as well as I could and keeping it constantly soaked in cold water, 
I had to exercise the greatest care. In this condition, amidst great sufferings, I was sometimes carried to the villages to administer medicine to the sick and to plead and pray with the dying. On such occasions, in this mode of transit even, the the conversations that I had with dear Mr. Johnston were most solemn and greatly refreshing. He had, however, scarcely ever slept since the 1st of January, and during the night of the 16th he sent for my bottle of laudanum. Being severely attacked with egg and fever, I could not go to him, but I sent the bottle, specifying the proper quantity for a dose, but that he quite understood already. He took a dose for himself and gave one also to his wife, as she too suffered from sleeplessness. This he repeated three nights in succession, and both of them obtained a long, sound, and refreshing sleep. He came to my bedside where I lay in the fever and said with great animation, amongst other things, I have had such a blessed sleep. I feel so refreshed. What kindness in God to provide such remedies for suffering man. At midday, his dear wife came to me crying, Mr. Johnston has fallen asleep so deep that I cannot awaken him. My fever had reached the worst stage, but I I struggled to my feet, got to his bedside, and found him in a state of coma, with his teeth fixed in tetanus. With great difficulty, we succeeded in slightly rousing him. With a knife, spoon, and pieces of wood, we forced his teeth open so as to administer an emetic with, with good effects and also other needful medicines. For twelve hours, we had to keep him awake by repeated cold dashes in the face, by ammonia, and by vigorously moving him about. He then began to speak freely. Next day, he rose and walked about a little. And for the two following days, he was sometimes better and sometimes worse. But we managed to keep him up till the morning of the 21st, when he again fell into a state of coma, uh, from which... We we failed to rouse him. At two o'clock in the afternoon, he fell asleep. Another martyr for the testimony of Jesus in those dark and trying aisles, leaving his young wife in indescribable sorrow, which she strove to bear with Christian resignation. Having made his coffin and dug his grave, we two alone at sunset laid him to rest beside my own dear wife and child, close by the mission house. Next time, chapter 30, Kowia. I think I'm pronouncing these names properly. I don't know. Kowia, we will say. Thank you so much for listening. I do like hearing from you. Please contact me with questions, comments, whatever, at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com. Now, look around the site before you leave. I do believe you'll find much that will be beneficial. There are readings from great preachers, stories from the persecuted church, Bible study, just a a lot of things here. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.